0: Hello and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. It is awesome to be here. I'm Drew, and I love this church. I actually was thinking about it today. I think I've been coming up here for 15 years to teach in different environments. And always leave inspired to love Jesus more, and you guys are family, and I always feel that, and so grateful for the way you've welcomed me. Um, Although this is, actually, I think, Jamie, this is my first Sunday morning, um, believe it or not. All the years of friendship, (laughs) my first Sunday to visit, and I get to preach, so that's awesome, and I'm glad to be here. Unfortunately, my family couldn't make the trip up this morning. Uh, My wife, Bethany, we do have a picture, though, and our four kids are at home in Waco, getting ready to go to church, and they are a delight. Uh, and a joy. And so I wish they could be here with you, but you'll get to meet them someday or come down and visit us an hour south. Well, in Waco, we've been doing this series on the kingdom of God. And every week we've been saying the Lord's prayer together as part of our service. And so I just want to invite you guys to, to join me this morning in saying the Lord's prayer. And we'll let that be our prayer to kick off our time. Sound good? That's on the screen. Um, but why don't you pray with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours are the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 That's a good thing to clap for. and that's what we're going to talk about today is the kingdom of jesus and what does it mean for us to follow him and his lordship and in particular how do we follow jesus when we are surrounded by the kingdoms the cultures and the voices of this world and maybe if you're living in 2020 in america that might be relevant for you i'm just throwing that out there as an option So how do we follow Jesus in the midst of the voices of this world? See, here's what I know today, and that is every single one of us is being impacted by our surrounding culture. Now, culture itself isn't bad. God created it. He made us for a relationship. And so it's not that it's inherently a bad thing, but like all things, it's marred by sin. And our culture is impacting us, I would say, far more than we realize. And my question this morning that we're going to keep coming back to is, who is shaping you today? because you are being shaped at a very deep level. So let me maybe explain this uh, with a story. I'm a pretty big football fan. That might be an exaggeration. Like I might be a really, really big football fan. And so this time of year is always exciting for me. Um, I married, though, this amazing woman who you met earlier, Bethany, and she grew up in Australia. So American football was not a value in her household. So she loves me. She supports me. I still don't think she knows the rules to the game, no matter how many times I've tried to explain it. So, football is more of like a a connection where she comes next to me and sits on the couch and then nods along and falls asleep or something. Like, it's not something she gets into. And our four beautiful kids have, for the most part, taken on after their mother until last year where we had a breakthrough. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We're clapping for the kingdom of God and for football this morning. I like you people. And so, I'm sitting on the couch now. No booze, but I'm a pretty diehard Baylor fan. I know I'm in the wrong place to say that. So I'm a pretty diehard Baylor fan, and we were having a good year last year. And I'm sitting on the couch watching this game, and my daughter, she comes and sits next to me. And at first, it's like daddy time, you know, we're all snuggly. But then she starts asking me about the rules. And so she doesn't know anything about football, but in the first quarter, she starts picking up on the rules of the game. And in the second quarter, she, like, mostly knows what's going on. And then in the third quarter, she's starting to get into the football game and, you know, it's less talking about the rules, more talking about what's happening on the field. And it turns into this amazing football game and it's back and forth. And, you know, it's the fourth quarter and it's chaotic. And then suddenly it goes into overtime. Now, guys, at this point, Baylor was undefeated. I mean, we're talking like conference championship, maybe a playoff berth, all of it's on the line in this overtime game. And my daughter's suddenly awakening to the reality of football. So she's joined with me in our excitement and and we score and they answer and they score. And it's this do or die moment in the football game. Everything's on the line. And I look over at my daughter who at this point has become a full blown football fan. And I notice that she has a blanket over her head because she can't bear to watch what's about to happen. And like, I was dying laughing on the inside, kind of conflicted because I kind of wanted to join her in her blanket for it because I felt the same way. But then I'm like, kid, you didn't even know the rules of the game three hours ago and you have a blanket under, over your head. (laughs) Like, this is how football fans are made, right? We won, just saying. But, you know, I, I was thinking about that later, laughing about it, and it dawned on me. My daughter didn't wake up that morning and think like today's the day I'm going to convert to football. Like she didn't wake up thinking that she was going to suddenly make this logical decision to become a Baylor fan that day. That's not how it happened. She was shaped into being a Baylor fan. Now hear me out. I didn't like make her become one. I'd be totally fine if she never was. It wasn't something that I intentionally did to her. It's something that happened to her by her surrounding culture because if you were to move an hour south to Waco, Texas, here's what happens. You drive down the street and you see billboards with Baylor stuff on it and your friends wear t-shirts with Baylor logos on it and you go to class and what do you talk about before class starts? The Baylor game that happened and then you go home and your daddy is watching Baylor on TV. It's just in the water in Waco, Texas and eventually you're probably going to catch it. Now if she lived up here, it could be the same scenario, but she might be a hornfrog Frog fan. If, if we had grown up in Australia, where my wife is from, it'd be a different kind of football. This is not logical. This is not something she chose. She did not get Baylor's win-loss record and decide to be a fan. She was shaped. And if it's football, it's kind of funny. But it makes me ask, what else is in the water? What other things shape us? Because what if it is our understanding of what it means to live a good life? What if it's our understanding of right and wrong and morality? What if it's our understanding of truth itself? Who is shaping you today? What voices are shaping you? Now, I know a lot of us, you know, it's 2020, everything's chaos. And I've talked to some people who it's like, this is, you know, people in their 80s who said this is the craziest time they've ever lived through. But if we were to zoom out and look at human history, uh, maybe this is encouraging, maybe it's not, I don't know. This is not unique. Most of human history has been marked by chaos, instability, and all kinds of junk. And if we could go back in time to the days of Jesus, you know what we would find is a culture that was a lot worse off than we are today, a lot more divided, a lot more violent, a lot more concerning, a lot more unstable. When Jesus stepped into the first century in Israel, that's what he found. And I've taken a lot of comfort going back to the words of Jesus. What was his message in a time like that? Because maybe it's the same message for a time like ours. And so today we're going to be looking at the gospel of Mark. And we're going to specifically be um, looking at two different stories that have this theme of the kingship and the message of Jesus as it relates to the messages of this world. And I'm going to start off. I want to read the very beginning of his ministry in Mark 1, verse 14 through 15. And you're welcome to read along with me. It says this. Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, Jesus, he proclaimed the gospel, and there's a lot in this verse. It's it's pretty simple at one level, but there's a lot of detail that I don't know that we recognize that I want to draw out this morning. The first is this, this word gospel. If you grew up at all around the church you probably have an understanding of this word in your mind. It's the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, and that's absolutely true. We're going to get to that in a minute. But this word gospel, at the time when Jesus spoke it to his disciples, actually had a different meaning. It was a secular term. And this is what Jesus is proclaiming. Uh, it's the Greek word evangelon. And, uh, so i got to kind of take you back in time a little bit to understand what this word means. But, you know, today we live in the day of the Internet, in the day of social media, 24-hour news. But that's not how humans always lived. Who else wants to go back in time in a time machine? Is that just me? Uh, But that's not how humans always lived. Today, something could happen in India, and 15 seconds later, I find out about it in America. But in the days of Jesus, it was way different. You see, something significant could happen, but you would have to wait until a messenger came with news. And this word that we translate gospel simply means good news. Right, it's good news, and what it's describing is I'm hanging out in my village. I don't know what's going on in the world, and this messenger shows up with gospel, with good news to tell me about something. I don't know the Greek word for bad news, but I, I don't want to know it. Um, but this is this is the good news, and typically it would refer to things like we just won a big military victory, hooray, you know, or we have a new king, hooray, a new emperor has ascended to the throne, you know, good news. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, guys, I'm here and I'm the messenger. I'm the one with good news for you. This isn't just like this esoteric religious term. I mean, we're talking to something that affects all of life and all of history. That's what he's announcing. And what is his good news? It's very simple. The kingdom of God is at hand. God has shown up. God is coming. God is going to set things right. The division you see, the, the sin you see, the brokenness you see in culture. God is coming. His kingdom is at hand. I've got good news for you. But here's the problem that they had, and here's the problem that we had. He was not the only one proclaiming good news. He was not the only voice. His was not the only gospel. There were other way more powerful voices at work that had their own version of the gospel in his day. Let me highlight a few of them. First and the the strongest by far were the Romans. The Romans held all the power, And they had this gospel message that said this, join us and we'll give you wealth and peace. Rome was the most powerful entity the world had ever seen. They had conquered the entire known world. They controlled commerce. They controlled government. They controlled just about everything. And all they asked was your allegiance. If you had just worshiped Caesar, you can still worship your other gods. You can have your own kings. We just ask that you bend your knee to us first and then do whatever you want. They were remarkably tolerant. And if you are willing to bend your knee to Rome, then you could have access to power and wealth like the world had never seen. Maybe there's some relevance to us. I'm not sure. And so there was a lot of people in first century Israel. They were drawn to this message, and you can understand why. They were drawn to this gospel. Maybe if we just threw our lot in with Rome, that would get us out of the tension that we feel. Well, You also had another voice that was really prominent. And these were the religious leaders. You see them in your Bible, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. They were all a little bit different from each other, but they had a similar key message. And their message was very very different than the message of Rome. And theirs was this. No, don't go with Rome, but hold fast to the way of our fathers. The way out of the mess we're in is we have to stand on our tradition and what's been passed down to us. Don't give in to the message of the Romans, but we have to keep ourselves pure and set apart by rigidly keeping God's law. That's our way out of this mess. Then you had this other group called the Zealots. And you don't see them as much in the Bible, but they play a very prominent role in history in the coming decades. And their whole thing was, well, forget all of you. Like, you religious leaders, you guys are being too nice. Really, if we want to get away out of this, we have to fight. There were these fierce nationalists, and their message was, we have to take up the sword, and we have to drive out the oppressors. We have to fight to overthrow our oppressors. That was their gospel message, and that's what they did. And lastly, you get the Essenes, and these are my favorite, because they looked at everybody else, and they are like, man, you guys are a mess, you know, and you don't have anything for us. And so they had a gospel message that was pretty simple. Go move to the desert, and that's what they did. They, like, left the city. They hung out in caves in the desert. Who wants to join me? <laughs> Starting my new movement. And so you had all these voices that showed up. I mean, is any of this maybe sounding a little familiar? A society with tension, different people giving us their gospel message, telling us this is the way we have life, different voices. And I hear people saying, like, where is Jesus in 2020? What would he say to a world like ours? And good news today, because he already came to a world like ours, and I'm going to tell you what he said. Ready? Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance means to turn. It means like I am following this one way of living, this one way of thinking, and I'm going to turn around and follow this other message with this king who said the kingdom of God is at hand. And I have to believe. Believing in the gospel means the kingdom of God is going to dominate my perspective, my life, my allegiance over the gospels of this world. You want out of the mess we're in. Repent and believe in the gospel. You see, I think there are gospel messages in our world just like there were in that world. And they're a little different, but basically the same theme of will we accept God's reign? And I want to take a stab at maybe what are the gospel messages in our own day? What might this look like? And this is my opinion, but something I've studied quite a bit. And before we get into it, I know like for some of you, you love studying this kind of stuff. And two years ago, I released a book called The Gospel According to Culture. And love for you to check it out. You can find it on Amazon. And then a buddy of mine in Waco who runs our discipleship school, Mick Murray, he and I started a podcast called Ideology. So this morning, we're going to go like real brief into it. If you're the type of person who wants to go real deep into it, I got you covered. Um, so make sure you check it out. But what are the gospel messages in our own society? Let me give you two. I think there's two prominent gospels in our society. The first is cultural Christianity, and I'll define it here in a second. And the second is secular humanism. And crucially, neither of them represent the gospel of Jesus. And what I think is actually happening in our world today is secular humanism is overtaking cultural Christianity as our nation's main religion. And I think that's some of the tension that we see. And, you know, on the one hand, this has been happening for like a century. People have been talking about it. But I think maybe the last decade, we've kind of got to this tipping point where we're seeing it in fullness. And so let me, let me take a moment and Articulate, what are these voices telling us? Let me start with the gospel of cultural Christianity. What does this voice say? I think this gospel tells us to obey God's commands or at least look like it. Obey God's commands or at least look like it. This, this gospel is willing to honor God with their words, but they don't want to submit with their lives. Jesus is a concept a lot more than he is a king. And this this gospel is a lot more concerned with a culture than with the Christ himself. And it's not all bad. And I think as I talk about both of these, there's good. I mean, I'll just say it. I would much rather be a part of any society that gives any kind of honor to God's laws over the alternative. So I am grateful for that. But you can summarize the problem with cultural Christianity with one word, and that's hypocrisy. When you just give lip service to the things of God, but you do not submit to God himself, there is not life there. This is the sin of the Pharisees, and it was their same problem as well. In our day, it's the people that worship together on Sunday and get in a fistfight at the business meeting on Monday, and I've actually heard real stories about that, believe it or not. (laughs) You know, you see it maybe more deeply. It's the subtle racism from the same people who talk about Jesus' love. It's the hidden abuse of the people who talk about God's righteousness, and unfortunately, I could keep going with a lot more examples. And I think for a lot of people, if you spent enough time under cultural Christianity, you've touched that hypocrisy in many ways. And I think what's happening in our nation today, as people are seeing the emptiness of cultural Christianity, they're recognizing maybe that gospel doesn't give us what it promises. And even though it's been dominant in our society for hundreds of years, it's shifting because it doesn't hold life. And so what's it shifting to? It's shifting to this other gospel, this gospel of secular humanism, which is really different. And let me explain this one. What does this message tell us? It says, live true to yourself and don't hurt anyone else. And if you're going to take it deeper and you do that based on the power within you. At the core with this gospel message is the understanding that you are fundamentally good. And there's this unique path to life that's hidden inside of you. And if you could just tap into that, that's how you live a good and thriving life. And the bad stuff inside of you is really things that other people have put on you and ways that other people have hurt you. And if you could just remove all of that, then you'd be free to be happy and whole and healthy and alive. Sound familiar? And let me tell you a few examples where I see this gospel. How about this one? You only live once, right? Go chase your dream. You know, do what feels right. It's like this inside of you. You just got to run. Get rid of the constraints that society puts on you. There's this pathway to life that's hidden within you and just be free. Go after it. Don't let anybody hold you back. How about this famous poet of our age? Let me read. Let me read this. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. My friend Mick, who does a podcast with me, he calls that the anthem of our culture. You hear it, right? Do you hear the gospel message inherent in this? Like, just be yourself and find life within yourself. There's nothing wrong with you. Just be free. I saw this greeting card, and it was just big, bold letters. All it said was never change. And I get that on the one hand. Like, I understand what's being communicated. It's not all bad. But I was thinking, what a bad card to give someone with an anger problem, you know? <laughs> like, no, seriously, you need to change. Like, how, how present is this gospel? You know, every motivational saying, every Broadway play, most of our movies, every book I read my kids is this gospel being proclaimed. It's not all wrong. There's truth in it, just like there's truth in cultural Christianity. God did make you unique. There is beauty that he's put inside of you. There is constraints that other people have harmed you. There's, there's plenty of truth in it. But at the core, it gets the great commandment of Jesus exactly backwards. It starts with love yourself, and then try to love your neighbor, or at least be kind. Seen that one lately? And of course, please do be kind. And then if you want to love God and that works for you, then love God as well. It's the reversal of the great commandment. And it's not anti-God. That's what makes it so hard. It's more subtle than that. It's not anti-God. You're welcome to believe in God if that works for you. You know, and... If God helps you in your own inner path to thriving, then go ahead and believe in God. Go for it. And if he doesn't, that's fine too. That's the message. It's all about you. You are at the center, not God. You are the authority, not God. There is no sin in this gospel other than what other people have done to you. But you are fundamentally good. God is a commodity, not an authority. Right? Right? That's how this works. God is a commodity and God is not an authority when we get into this gospel. God is an option for your own self-fulfillment. The church is a consumer product. It's like Amazon, swipe swipe all your filters, get the product you want for your own path to thriving, not a fundamental commitment in place of belonging. That's the gospel message that's being proclaimed. And like I said, there's a lot of good. That's what makes it hard. There's a lot of good in it, but at the core, it's not the gospel of Jesus. In fact, I'd argue it's the opposite. Now, I want to be clear. I am not antagonistic to either of these two groups. They're not my enemy. I can walk with a secular humanist and a cultural Christian. I agree on a lot. There's a lot of ways that we can agree to tackle the issues in our society. I am not saying this today to say fight them or be enemies with them. Please don't hear me say anything like that. They're my friends. But they're not, that not is not the gospel message I'm going to bow my knee to. And I think that's important today for us. You see, here's what I found. I think today, some of you might still be influenced by cultural Christianity, but I found that's mostly gone. (laughs) You know, Very few people are still following that. We've seen the limitations. But as I travel the country, work with churches, especially if you're my age or younger, I find a lot of us are intellectually Christian, and I find this about myself, but I'm emotionally a humanist. And I worry for myself. Do I really believe the message of Jesus? Do I really look at him as my king? Have I really reconciled what it means to follow a king that takes up a cross? Whose message is not, go live your best life, but whose message is, take up your cross and follow me? Do you notice the discrepancy? I think the the verse over our generation needs to be, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the opposite. It's a very different gospel message. So let's go back to the life of Jesus. If those are the voices in our day, Let's go back to what I believe is one of the most important stories in all of Scripture. How's that for a lead-in? You ready? And it's a unique story because we're not going to hear Jesus say a word. Instead, it's what he is about to do. And we're going to fast forward to Mark chapter 11. And I want to give you a little context so you understand why I think this story is so important. So Israel had been waiting for the king to return and set everything right. This is the hope they've been waiting for. And this right here, this passage that we are about to read is the defining moment when this is all about to happen. Because in this passage, Jesus and Mark, he is revealed to be the king and he is revealed to be Israel's God himself. And he is about to show up at his capital city. And he is about to walk into his capital city to take possession of his house, which is the temple and what is rightfully his. I mean, this is meant to be the biggest celebration in the entire Bible story. When everything comes to fruition, this is the moment. And what we're about to read instead is a tragedy. And Jesus and his followers have gathered outside the city. And he sent two guys out to go find him a donkey. He's going to ride into town on a donkey. And this is his procession, his kingly procession to take his throne. Let me take you into what happens. Mark 11, starting in verse seven. They brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of our, the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple and he, when he looked around at everything, it was already late. He went out to Bethany with the twelve. So there's tons of symbolism that I wish I had time to walk you through all of it. Uh, First, Jesus comes riding on a donkey, which in that culture, a king, if he showed up on a horse, that typically meant hostility and war. If he showed up on a donkey, that meant peace. God's people had given plenty of reasons for hostility, but still Jesus showed up in peace because that's his heart for his people, and it always has been. And then you have this these followers of Jesus, most likely this crowd were the people who'd been with him out in the villages. These were the the blue collar, the poor, the farmers, the ones who'd been healed, who'd been fed by this king. And they came to the city to announce their king and they spread their cloaks on the road. It was a sign of submission. And then they waved palm branches. Now you might know that story from Easter and Palm Sunday, but have you ever thought about how weird that is? Like I love finding details like that in the Bible and being like, why did they do that? I mean, you know, if the governor of Texas showed up, are you going to go grab like a stick and wave at him? You know, it's like, hey, what's the symbolism of that? And you got to go back actually to a different holiday. This is talking about the the festival of Passover, one of the three main Jewish feasts. But this palm branch was a symbol from a different festival, the festival of booths. Today, it's known as Sakat. And actually, Jewish people around the world just finished celebrating it. And this festival at the time of Jesus was the most important holiday they had. And it celebrated a few different things. It celebrated that God had led Israel out of wandering in the desert, out of slavery, and they would go actually live in a tent. They still do this today for a week to commemorate what it was like to have no home. They would celebrate the harvest, that God is their provider, and they would celebrate the day when all the nations would come to Israel and worship God. And part of this holiday... The priest would lead a crowd of people. They'd have palm branches they would wave. They would go up to the temple, and he would pour water on the altar of the temple. And what this symbolized, that the life of God would flow from the altar into the desert, and that life would come into dead places. And then at night, they would light the temple up with tons of candles to be a beacon of light that the presence of God is light in the darkness. And by the time of Jesus, this holiday had taken on another meaning because people looked at this holiday, and they said that we are still not free. And this holiday became almost like a type of resistance. We are not free yet because even though we live in houses, we're still exiles, we're still nomads, we're still in slavery. We need God to come and deliver us. And so when these crowds are waving palm branches, what they're declaring is this is the king who is coming to set us free from the oppression that's over us. It was subversive. It was wild. And if you keep reading this story, what you find is that Jesus goes to his temple and there he is rejected. And he spends the night alone outside of the city. What was rightfully his, the noblemen that were supposed to welcome him, rejected him. And instead, he had to leave his own city. The king came to set his people free, but his people wouldn't listen to him. And if you keep reading Mark, what well, you get to the time when Jesus is eventually crucified. And I think it's wild that all those different voices, they joined together for one brief moment because they could not handle a guy named Jesus who claimed to be king. And the Romans and the religious leaders partnered together to kill him. And the coronation ceremony in Mark is actually Jesus' crucifixion. The people who were supposed to place a crown on his head, they did. It was just a crown of thorns. The people that were supposed to honor him, they mocked him. They lifted him up, which is what you did with the king, and you presented him to the people. They just lifted him up on a cross with a notice of kingship over his head. And he died alone outside the city. Guys, do you realize how easy it is to miss Jesus with the voices of this world? Our world, I don't care what culture you live in, the cross is always countercultural. There's no room for a king who dies like that. You see, we're taught that power and influence matters. You know, think about this story. It ends exactly like you think it should end. This idealistic preacher comes to town and eventually the power systems kill him like they always do. There are no fairy tales in the real world, right? It's just that Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus took the worst of what humanity can bring us He absorbed it and he conquered it, not through human power, but through divine power that conquered the grave. He stepped out of the tomb and he reigns. Do you realize that today Jesus reigns over every other kingdom, over every other voice, over every other gospel? That's what we believe. And I'm so concerned that we get caught up in the wrong gospel message that doesn't lead to life. Right? You know all those other voices that were alive at the time of Jesus? We read about them in history books because they're gone today. They're a chapter in our history book that you slept through in your history class. They're insignificant and they no longer hold power. At the day of Jesus, yeah, they were a big deal. There was controversy and politics and all the same other stuff. There was all the swirling thoughts that we deal with and today it's nothing. And do you know that 2020 is going to be another chapter? In fact, I don't even think it's going to be a chapter. It's going to be a paragraph in somebody else's history book where all the things that we're worried about, just some chapter that some poor kid has to read in history. I don't want to minimize the pain. I understand that it's real. I'm concerned. I'm sobered. I'm worried. I know there's a lot of implications. So please hear me. It's right to feel that. I just want to lift our eyes to something bigger this morning. 2020 is going to be a paragraph in a history book. But guys, Jesus is still going to be the one writing the history book. And he reigns today. And that's our hope. Amen? Let me close. I want to read this prayer out of Ephesians and proclaim it over you and then turn it back over to Jamie. And this is Paul. And just take what I've shared this morning and have that in mind as I read this over you. Father, today we ask that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know him better. I pray that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus, thank you that today you are not intimidated. You're not concerned. You're not challenged by the gospel voices of our world any more than you've been by any other kingdom that's come or gone. And I pray over every one of us, Lord, lift our eyes up to see you for who you really are, your kingdom for what it really is. And Lord, help us in the midst of voices that seek to shape us, that seek to lead us, that seek to tell us the way to life. Lord, help us to lift our eyes to the king who comes in on a donkey with peace, the king who's willing to go to the cross, the king who's altogether different. And it's our confession as your church today that you are the head of the church. That you alone have the words of life. That yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right,
1: let's uh, let's stand up, you guys. Just let's respond. Just we're gonna take a minute. We got got a little time, and at home, just want to encourage you to stand up as well in your homes, wherever you're watching this. And let's just respond to the Lord, man. I you know there's like, I leaned over to camera. I was like, this is anointed. This is a word for us right now, you know, and so uh, just father in the name of Jesus, I just want to just wherever we're at in life, however we're hearing what's going on, I pray that the truth of the gospel of King Jesus, the authority of King Jesus would touch our hearts, our minds. Our situations. Let's just take a minute here. You know, we, we all need. There's there's repentance that that the gospel calls us to. That proclaiming the reign of King Jesus, it calls us to. And so, just in our thinking, in our emotions, in our desires, Lord, is there are there things that need to, or we need. Calibration, or we need to wake up where we've been lulled, just kind of muffled, asleep. Wake us up, Lord. Wake us up, Lord. Father, just want to pray specifically into just these two messages that is so common for us to hear, Lord, just kind of culturally going through the motions. Have mercy. Save us, Lord, from cultural Christianity, that it would be real for us to bow our knee to you and to follow you. Yeah, Lord, and wake us up to the ways that the just the, there's so many different overlaps, Lord, but wake us up to how secular humanism has been embraced in our in our personal lives. Just just gradually self being on the throne instead of you. Self being at the center instead of you even self being at the way the center of the way we understand the gospel wake us up Lord if you came with somebody just uh, place a hand on their shoulder appropriately and uh, let's just Just speak a blessing of of waking up to the truth of the gospel of King Jesus. Wake us up. Help us. Have mercy. Give grace to repent where we need to repent. to you today. And here we are, Lord, and we just proclaim, just again, even as Drew was just the power of reading Scripture, Lord, that we would wake up, Lord, to the revelation of who you are. Lord Jesus, and that in that revelation, it would find handles, Lord, in our lives and in our experience. You're not going to just show us something that you don't want us to experience and live out in our lives, not just things we know intellectually, but Lord, we want to live it out as your disciples. So do it, Lord. Far above all rule. And authority, power, and dominion, and every name, every title that can be given or invoked in this age or in the age to come. We proclaim, Jesus, again, that you are head over all things for the church, which is your body, the fullness of you living in us. And we proclaim that that you are the name above every name, that your name we bow. Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, you will fill everything in every way, bringing heaven and earth together. Start with us here and now in Jesus name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine on you and may you walk with King Jesus in ever increasing life and vitality and blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go in peace. Love y'all. Blessings, everybody.